Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Okay, I'd like you to turn uh, to your notes tonight just for a start here. Uh, so what we're going to look in our, our, uh, in our first session here is what I've called Psalms of the Soul. And uh, just uh, on the introductory here, just before I read that, uh, as I've gone through the Psalms over the years, uh, I find that there, uh, and, and different writers do this, uh, that there's uh, historical Psalms having to do with Israel's history, which you'll have to read next week. Uh, there's worship Psalms, there's didactic Psalms, teaching Psalms, there's prayer Psalms, praise Psalms. Messianic Psalms that have to do with the Messiah, like Psalm 22, we looked at last week. And uh, there's what they call devotional Psalms. So that's what we're going to be looking at, uh, one particularly tonight. So on your notes here, introductory, uh, devotional Psalms. Psalms that express the devotions of one's heart, soul, mind and strength to the Lord. Such are the Psalms of the soul. And we note the emphasis on the soul. So I'd like you to turn to, uh, go to Psalm 63. I've put down several others there that uh, we refer to as Psalms of the Soul. But let's go to Psalm 63, and I'm going to read from uh, New King James here. All right, Psalm 63, and uh, I want you to notice the inscription because we'll come back to that in a moment. So, uh, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Okay, so you don't always have that on uh, uh, Psalms uh, title or superscription or subscription in some cases. So uh, in the Psalm he says, Oh God, you are my God. I want you to notice the the, uh, very personal relationship here. It's a devotional Psalm. Early will I seek you. My, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus will I bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips." When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory, but the mouth of those who speak... Uh, speak lies shall be stopped. All right, now, uh, if you mark your Bible, this is what we want to do in our time to, together tonight. Uh, this is one of those Psalms of the soul. Now, just go to your notes for a moment uh, and just to draw it to your attention. In Psalm 42, key word is the word soul, and we have the soul panting after God as the uh, deer pants after God, so I pant after you. The, uh, uh, number two, the thirsting soul. And then number three, the poured out soul. And then the cast, out, uh, cast down soul. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And that's mentioned uh, three times in that psalm, Psalm 42. Psalm 43, apparently the same writer. Uh, he speaks of why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And uh, according to a couple of the textbooks I referred to last week, uh, they refer to 
especially those who are shepherds, they refer to those sheep that are cast down or depressed, uh, get so heavy on their wool, they can't get up and so uh, they call it a cast down sheep. Uh, Psalm 62, he talks about the waiting soul. My soul waiteth on, on thee, a lost art today. And again in verse 5. Tonight, if you haven't marked your Bible, I'd like to encourage you to do it this way. And I want to do it in the order uh, that I've arranged here, and I don't think David will mind. Okay, so uh, in verse 1, the thirsting soul, my soul thirsteth after you. So we want to talk a few moments about the thirsting soul. How thirsty are, are we after God? Remember, it's a devotional so, uh, psalm, psalm of the soul. And then in verse 5, my soul shall be satisfied, the satisfied soul. Verse 5, and then uh, verse uh, 8, I've underlined it in my Bible, of course. My soul follows hard or close to thee. So the following soul. So that's how I've broken the psalm up tonight. The thirsting soul, satisfied soul, the following soul. Uh, the bottom line is our soul life, our relationship with the Lord. And uh, I like what Jesus says. I've given you the reference there in Mark chapter 12. Uh, when the, uh, the lawyer came to him and asked him, which is the great, greatest commandment? And he said, you are to, and, and Jesus is really quoting from the Old Testament. So it's not a new commandment in that sense. He says, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. I like those four words. So our mind, will and emotions, uh, our soul, qualities of the soul. Man became a living soul when God created him in the Garden of Eden. And challenge on there, what shall it profit if a man gains the whole world and lose his own soul? So God puts the value of a soul far above the whole world. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And when we see so many people today trying to gain the whole world in exchange for their soul, they lose their soul, what's the good of it? Because the world's going to pass away. Or what can we give in exchange for our soul? Because our soul is the eternal. And when we say soul here, just for those a little bit more theological, we, we include our spirit. So God created man's spirit, soul and body. And I like to say this uh, theologically, soul and spirit are distinguishable but indivisible. So that's a good thing to keep in mind. Soul and spirit are distinguishable but indivisible. And so, uh, so, so, so David is saying, my soul thirsts for you, the thirsting soul, the satisfied soul, and the following soul. All right, now as we go, just to expand a little bit on this psalm here. Uh, number one, the writer. And remember, who's the author? There's only one author, God by the Holy Spirit, but there's many writers. So uh, David is the writer of this psalm and uh, the only one that God's ever said, he's the man after my own heart. As I've often said, in spite of that one dark spot on the whiteboard of David's life, every king in Israel and Judah is judged by David. Uh, David was the man after God's own heart. And David never forgave himself for messing up his life there, kicked himself forever. But he was still the man after God's own heart. And that's what God saw. Uh, now, number two, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this. It was written in the wilderness of Judah. It's interesting to just go through the different uh, uh, wildernesses here that people... Has anybody here, apart from David, been through a wilderness experience? Hands up. <laughs> i got both hands up. Sometimes God lets us go through a wilderness experience, and I've put down some examples here, 
And, and, and when we go through the wilderness, it either ends in victory or failure. And unless we understand the purpose of God letting us go through a wilderness experience, that's when we often fail or mess up or just give up, you know, throw in the towel. No, we've got to understand. So uh, we, uh, we'll just touch on this. Israel in the wilderness, did it end in victory or failure? Failure. Because you see, they, the reason they went into the wilderness through unbelief. When God brought them to the edge of the promised land and they sent in the 12 leaders and they were all leaders, that's very important. 10 of them brought back a bad report. Only two had a good report and they said, well, would God, we died in the wilderness. And God said, okay, uh, my language, you've, pro- you've pronounced your own funeral service. You're going to wander in the wilderness until you all die. 40 years. What do you think? And this is a whole message in itself. What do you think Caleb and Joshua went through? 40 years waiting for this people to die out. And my sanctified imagination, can you imagine the last night there? 39 years, 364 days, one day to go. And somebody rushes up to Joshua or Caleb and says, Oh, would you pray for this man? He's just ready to die. And Joshua says, what generation is he from? The old generation. Let him die. Uh, that's how I would have felt. <laughs> I've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years waiting for this unbelieving generation. So the wilderness for them was bad, bad news. David in the wilderness, uh, what was it for him? Good or bad? How many would say good? How many would say bad? How many are not going to get caught? How many haven't got a hands? Okay. All right, okay. Uh, Jesus in the wilderness. Notice, 40 years in the wilderness for Israel, failure. 40 days in the wilderness for Jesus, temptation. Did he come out in victory or defeat? And and you see, uh, I don't know, you know, as as I often say, I'm an old man now. But you see, when I received the baptism of the Spirit, or before, when I first came to Christ in Salvation Army days, I didn't know there was, you know, I didn't even know the devil existed. He didn't bother me. I don't think I bothered him. But once I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, immediately after that, I went into the darkest wilderness experience. Until suddenly, a man said, After Jesus was filled with the Spirit, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested of the devil. I said, why didn't somebody tell me that after I got the baptism of the Spirit? Because immediately after I got the baptism of the Spirit, I went into a wilderness and had big tests, temptation. See? And unless you realize that, that sometimes when you get the baptism of the Spirit, not always God has mercy on some of you, I think he... He's a respecter of persons. Um, yeah, he can lead you into wilderness just to be tested. We'll see why in a moment. John on the Isle of Patmos. I'm glad John was stuck on the Isle of Patmos because we'd never get the book of Revelation if he hadn't have been incarcerated there. Paul. Oh, I haven't got Paul. I've got Paul on my notes. But I'm glad Paul was stuck in prison. You think of all the epistles he wrote in prison. So if God sticks you in jail, write a book. <laughs> do, do something. Okay. All right. Now, uh, so Dave in the wilderness, and uh, notice the last part, then we'll come back to Deuteronomy. It's in the wilderness of praise. 
There were two major wildernesses in, uh, in uh, Exodus and Numbers somewhere. The wilderness of Sin, S-I-N, and the wilderness of Judah. Everybody should know what Judah means? So he's in the wilderness of praise. So think of that. This is the background for the psalm. Just a very little thought, but very beautiful. Now, I want you to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I want you to, and this has really helped me over the years because, you know, even at my age, I still get a wilderness experience. I say, oh, things are so dry. What are you doing, God? And I tell the Lord, I'm not complaining, I'm explaining. (laughs) I don't think he takes much notice. Uh, But turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and I want you to notice uh, what I've called the fivefold purpose of God letting us to go into the wilderness. So those of you more familiar with the Bible, remember Joseph's story, how he was chased by Saul 13 long years after he got the anointing, chased by Saul. Saul tried to kill him 14 times. And he had 3,000 men chase him. You know, what do you think David went through? Well, you know, I'm supposed to be anointed king. You can't have two anointed. Saul's king. I'm supposed to be king. You know, we don't know. But God's doing something. Now, here's the purpose of the wilderness in principle. And I'll, I'll let me read the scripture first of all, and then I'm going to break it up for you. Okay, uh, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, New King James here again. Uh, verse 1, just to lead into it. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord God sw- uh, Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord, your God, led you. Now, I underline that word, led. So he led them into the wilderness, all the way, uh, led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. What for? Now we pick up. To humble you, test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So... He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread only, or bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you're taking down extra notes here, I'd like to break this God's purpose in the wilderness into five little sections here. So remember that the Lord your God led you. All the way these 40 years in the wilderness. So it's a wilderness experience. And because Israel did not understand God's purpose, they bombed out. They murmured. In fact, uh, in the book of Numbers, uh, yeah, book of Numbers, which is the book of murmuring, the word praise is never used once. The key word in the book of Numbers is the word murmur. The church of the first murmurers. They murmured on Sunday. They murmured on Monday. Anybody sing that chorus? Am I that old? Yes, 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 okay. We used to sing that one. Okay, so what's the purpose of it? Number one, to humble you. To save you from areas of pride. We all have pride levels, I have them. We just, uh, God, God has a big refrigerator full of humble pie. And he, he often uses people to give it to you. Have you found that? Or is it just me? Okay, so number one, to humble you, just to deal with pride levels. Number two, to test you, or to prove, to try, and to test you, number two. So it's a testing period, okay? 
Then number three, and I've circled these, these twos here, but number three I've got here, to know what was in your heart. Now, none of us, including myself here, so I'm preaching to myself, none of us know what's in our heart. But God knows how to orchestrate circumstances to expose ourselves to ourselves, to expose ourselves, expose our heart to us. Because, you know, when people say to me, oh, that's not me. Yes, it is. You just didn't know it. God just orchestrated circumstances. And I'm not preaching this from a sermon book. It's from experience. He knows how to orchestrate circumstances so we expose ourselves to ourselves to know what's in my heart. Even David in one of the Psalms said, Search my heart, search me, O God, and know my heart today. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. So search me. So God, and I, I pray that often, Lord, I don't know my heart. You know my heart. I want to have a heart after you. I want to have soul following heart after you, thirsting after you. But you know. So God knows. So if we don't understand the purpose of the wilderness, that's when we bomb out. Everybody said amen? So to know what was in your heart, uh, to expose yourself to yourself. I've got my notes. And then number, the next one I've got is uh, to see whether you would keep his commandments or not. So that's in the uh, next verse. Uh, what is it? Uh, no, it's still in verse 2. Sorry. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. So in other words, that is the test of obedience. Because anybody can be good in a meeting like this. <laughs> but, you know, when we get in wilderness experiences, go through tough times in the week, that's, that's the test, test of obedience. And then number five uh, is down the bottom of verse three, to make you know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread only or bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So whether we live by the word, where we trust God through the word and trust the word, that's it. So I hope you pick that up. So God's purpose in the wilderness, as I've got on my notes here, God often allowed his people to go through a wilderness experience to prove what was in their heart, what their motives were. The wilderness brings out the best or the worst out in all of us, depending how you handle God's dealings in the life. And the divine purpose is, number one, to humble you, save you from pride, to prove you or test you, try you. And number three, to know what was in your heart or expose you to yourself. And, you know, I've, I've gone through this over you. Lord, I didn't know that was in my heart. That's not really, that's not me. And God says, yes, it is. I just exposed what was in your heart because I can deal with it then. And then to see whether you keep his commandments or not, test of obedience, and to make you know that you live not by bread only, but by the preceding word of God. So on my notes here, if you do not understand God's purpose and the leading in the wilderness, then we allow the worst to come out in us. Israel did this in the 40 years. How many could say amen? amen. How many would say you got something out of that? Yeah, I did as I was studying it, yes. So many others, if you want to, uh, those of you lead at home leaders, you might like to look up, you know, what happened to Moses in the wilderness, Hagar in the wilderness, Elijah, Ezekiel in Babylon, Paul in Arabia and so forth. So oh, I went through that, that's a whole study. So the wilderness experience. All right, now let's go back to our, our psalm again, Psalm 63. So in the, uh, those of you who have the old King James, you'll find that the word soul is actually mentioned four times 
and New King James, it's uh, three times here. So we're going by New King James. So uh, I've already given you that. So number one, the thirsting soul. Number two, the satisfied soul. And number three, the following soul. So, okay, for the purpose of our study, I've just changed the, uh, the wording around a little bit here. So the first thing I've got here, I've just got to check my notes and what I've scribbled out and yours. Yes, so number one here, the thirsting soul. Uh, David's thirst after God himself. As I said, as I read the psalm, you know, it's a very personal psalm between me, my God, and for you, your power, your glory, and I seek for you, my soul thirsts for you, uh, it's a very personal, so it's a devotional psalm, David's psalm. So he's hunger and thirst after, after God. Uh, you've got it on your notes there. Uh, let me turn to that one, Psalm 42. And uh, through these devotional psalms of David, you'll find uh, he often speaks of soul thirst. So Psalm 42, let me see here. Yes, in verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, that's the figure of speech he's using. The deer being hunted by wild animals. So as the deer pants for the water books, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food night and day, day and night, while they continue to say to me, where is your God? Um, I was just talking to somebody. Oh, we were t- fellowshipping today. Uh, that... I, I, I'm sorry, you know, I just feel I'm an old man now. It doesn't matter if I say what I think. Is that all right? You know what's happened in the world? The world has stolen the Lord's Day Sunday off the church. Back in, how, how many are old? A little bit older, or older, you know. Back in my day, there were no shops open. There was no football. There was no cricket. There were no theatres. People didn't work on Sunday. Legalistic Kevin Connor. I wouldn't paint the house. I wouldn't mow the lawns. Sunday was the Lord's Day. We wouldn't go shopping. Sunday was the Lord's Day. We were in the house of the Lord Sunday morning and Sunday night. But the world has stolen the Lord's Day office. So now cricket's on, football's on, theatres are open, shops are open, people work Sunday. Call it legalism, but we have lost the day of the Lord because Sunday was entirely the Lord's day. We love to be in the house of the Lord. In my Salvation Army days, this is how religious I was. I went to knee drill. That was prayer meeting, 7 o'clock in the morning. I went to band spiritual meeting, 9 o'clock in the morning. I went to holiness meeting, 10 o'clock in the morning. Then I taught in Sunday school, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Then I went to a... Oh, I missed one meeting. That's right. I had a street meeting, open air meeting in somewhere in here. And then I had another open air meeting uh, in, the ho- in, the, in the street where the most houses gave the most money. Uh, oh, I shouldn't say. <laughs> you didn't hear me say that. Okay. And then we had a salvation meeting. Seven or eight or nine meetings every Sunday. And I loved it. Because it was the Lord's Day. How, how many are getting the message? How many agree with me? The world has stolen the Lord's Day off the church. Okay? And people say, well, I'm too busy. 
Anyway, I better not say any other things I'm thinking. Okay, so hunger and thirst after the living God, you know. David had that. And then uh, Psalm 143, I think you've got there, yes. My soul thirsts for you as in a dry and thirsty land. Uh, You know, what's the first thing that happens when you're really sick? You lose your appetite. And people who are spiritually sick, they don't have any appetite for the things of God. That's why I'm blessed to see you all here tonight. How many are hungry for God? Yes. Uh, Isaiah 55, another good scripture. Ho, everyone that thirsts, come to the waters. Uh, You that have no money in price, you come and buy waters. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. So good appetite, good hunger, good thirst, good spiritual appetite is a sign of a good spiritual healthy person. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. And... uh, you know, I've got the last scripture. This is interesting. In John chapter 7, uh, verses 37 to 39, uh, why don't we turn to that scripture while we're there? John chapter 7, and uh, you'll notice that this is uh, very, well, it's all good to me, uh, very interesting scripture. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, verse 2, you find that. So John chapter 7 And verse uh, 2, now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. Now notice, not the Feast of Passover, not the Feast of Pentecost, but the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, what's the significance in that? So, when you go down to verse uh, 37, which you've got on your notes there. uh, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. He who believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, out of his belly, old King James says, out of his heart will flow rivers, not just a little trickle, rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Wow, that's loaded. Now, uh, Edisham in his book... uh, on Jewish customs, he, this is what he tells us, that uh, on the last day of the feast, what the Jews would do, they would come and the priests would uh, have the sacrifices on the altar, so there was sacrificial blood, and then a priest would go down to the pool of Siloam, and he would fill up the, uh, uh, the, uh, the article of water there, and then he would bring it back to the altar, And then they would march around the altar seven times after the sacrificial blood had been poured out. Then they would pour out the water. And that to the Jew was the prophetic of the coming of the Messiah, who would be a sacrifice for sin. And then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that would be poured out on all nations. And they would sing the song, Isaiah chapter 12. Therefore, oh, how many of you remember this one? Therefore with joy shall you draw waters out of the wells of salvation. And in that day you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people as they poured out the water. And so, can you imagine the scene? I'm sorry, I get so emotional on these things. It's it's just the Holy Spirit makes the thing so real. Can you imagine? Jesus is saying, they've just been through the sacrificial system, seen the borders poured out, and people are about to go home. And on the last day of the feast, he says, if anyone thirsts, 
Come to me and drink. You won't have to go to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. He's the one that's been sent from the Father. Come to me and drink. And I'll give you something on the inside. Not just a well, that's John 4. Rivers of living water that will flow from your innermost being. So I've got a river on the inside. How many got a river? And you see, what, what Jesus is talking about, he's, he's referring to the day of Pentecost really, though that was the Feast of Pentecost, not the Feast of Tabernacles. So there's something more in this than meets the air. But he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Get the picture? When Jesus was glorified, the Holy Spirit is given. And I like to, I used to in the olden days, encourage people, you're seeking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you glorify Jesus? And as you glorify Jesus, the Holy Spirit is given. And they began to speak in tongues, the evidence of the receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Rivers of living water, not just a trickle, but rivers. That's what we're talking about. Uh, but the, the whole secret is, if any man thirsts. Now down the bottom of the page as we turn over here, one sentence I had there uh, as we turn back to Psalm 63. And please remember this is a devotional psalm. Not just information to your mind, but to help us in our devotional. Uh, in fact, I, I, I probably learned this in Salvation Army days too. I used to take home the hymn book. And I used to read those uh, songs, uh, songs of holiness. And I would pray them in my prayer, because I didn't know how to pray. But I would pray that. And then sometimes I would pray the scriptures. And, 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 and I got this thought of Watchman Nee... Uh, he talks about pray reading the word. Anybody who read Watchman Me on that? Pray read the word. So this would be a good psalm to pray. Oh God, you are my God. It's personal. Early will I seek you. I still try even at my age, though I was tired this morning. But I try to get up about 6.30, 7 o'clock, have my hour of prayer uh, while my wife is laying before the Lord. Uh, but just to seek the Lord, just discipline myself. And I'm tired. I was born tired. <laughs> but, but I tried to have my time with the Lord. And this is good sound of faith. My soul thirsts for you, the living God, in a dry and thirsty land. How many think Australia is a dry and thirsty land? No water. We need an outpouring of the Spirit. So forth. Amen? Yeah. Amen. All right, you get the message. So notice on the last sentence there, on uh, letter A, David is bereft of the externals of the tabernacle. Now, as you go through the psalm here, remember David is in the wilderness of praise. He's in the wilderness of Judah. So he's bereft of the tabernacle, whether the tabernacle of David or the tabernacle of Moses. He's bereft of these things. So note the language that he uses. The sanctuary. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary. What for? To see your power and your glory. He's thinking of the Shekinah glory, the presence of God. So your sanctuary, the tabernacle, the glory presence of God. And then he goes on. Your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. So 
You know, I've used this, but lift up in your hand, lifting, lifting up your hands in the name of the Lord. And uh, I know I've said this before, but for those who haven't heard it, it's good to repeat it. People say when they first come here, well, I'm not going to lift up my hands unless I feel led. Well, I say if somebody came behind you with a gun <laughs> and said, stick them up, well, I don't feel led. How many of you know you would in a moment? Oh, yeah. <laughs> The Bible says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Lift up your hands in his name. It's a, and, and what I like, you know, sometimes when we see in the meeting Saturday, people lifting their hands, we don't see this. You know when, what you see on the television? Clench fists. Rebellion. But see, in here, I don't see any clenched fists here. If I do, I'll come and talk to you. But lift up your hand because open hands, open heart, open surrender. It's an act of surrender. I will lift up my hands in your name. Everybody says hallelujah. Yes, so the satisfied soul. So notice here in verse 7, the wings. See, unless, as I said on the first night, first session, unless we understand tabernacle of Moses, tabernacle of David, some of these things, we won't understand some of the Psalms. So in verse 7 he says, uh, Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. And, and when you go back to the tabernacle of Moses or the tabernacle of David, wings, wings, that's the concept. See, in the tabernacle of Moses, the linen curtains uh, above them where the priest would walk, uh, they were embroidered with cherubim and the wings of the cherubim. So it became a very common expression, a favourite expression in the Psalms, in the shadow of thy wings I will rejoice. Go through the Psalms, uh, I will trust in his wings. And so just coming under the wings of the Lord, they knew that, the, the, the wings of the cherubim. Uh, and not only were the linen curtains uh, interwoven with cherubim and wings, uh, on, the, on the Ark of the Covenant there was the cherubim, covering the bloodstained mercy seat. And that was where the very Shekinah glory was. And so they would think of the wings of the cherubim. And it says the cherubim, uh, their wings would stretch uh, and they would touch each other. And the faces of the cherubim would look one toward another. Uh, those of you who did uh, Foundation Christian Doctrine may remember this. Uh, to me, it's one of the most magnificent representations of the Godhead. So... The mercy seat is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our propitiation. New Testament says Romans 4.24, I think, or 5.25. So the mercy seat, the bloodstained mercy seat. He shed his blood. Blood is the evidence of death. And then the cherubim that were all one piece of gold. Contrary to a lot of teaching today, uh, of those who touch this, they say, well, the cherubim are the angels. No. The, the, the cherubim and the bloodstained mercy seat were made out of one piece of gold. Gold always speaks of de deity. There weren't two cherubim stuck on because the angels have no part in our redemption. They're ministering spirits. But you see, the cher two cherubim and the mercy seat, they were all of one piece of gold. Drop the L, you've got one God. And yet it was fashioned into a tri-unity. Two cherubim and the mercy seat. We've identified the mercy seat very clearly in Romans uh, and John. Propitiation, the bloodstained mercy seat. 
the, uh, the cherubim here represent the Father and the Holy Spirit. And it says in the Numbers there, their faces were to look toward one toward another and yet toward the mercy seat. To me, the language is profound because the Father and the Holy Spirit gaze with satisfaction upon the blood, the blood-stained mercy seat. That's worth a little baby, hallelujah. Yeah. And, and in that was the Shekinah glory of God. Wow, awesome. So the wings, the wings. Uh, uh, let me give you one more. I think it might be there. Uh, yes, I've given you a number of scriptures there. I encourage you. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, uh, 23, verse 37. is very beautiful there. Uh, where Jesus said, as he w- was weeping over Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you under my wings as a hen gathers her chickens? I would, but you would not. And you see, apparently, custom, if you're foul-minded, uh, if you've got chickens, uh, apparently the mother hen would make about four different calls. They always had a danger call, or they would call uh, for food. And, and the chickens, they would have an ear to hear what mum was saying. And they, when they saw the eagle and mum was giving a danger call, they would rush under mum, mum's wings and peek out there. But they were safe. And Jesus is saying that. I've given you three and a half years danger calls and you won't listen. How often would I have gathered you under my wings as a hen gathers her chickens? But you would not. I would, but you wouldn't. And now your house is left here desolate. Wow. It's also meaningful. So I'm glad I'm under his wings and trusting under his wings. How many can say amen tonight? Yeah, so beautiful. Beautiful thought. So the Lord himself is a little sanctuary and under the shadow of his wings do we rejoice. Okay. All right. And then, so just reading off your note there, the cherubim wings the, on the Ark of the Covenant, wings that overshadow the mercy seat or cherubim wings in the linen curtains. I've explained all that. The Lord himself becomes a little sanctuary uh, and the notice a very emphasis on the person of God. You and yours. Uh, why don't you turn quickly? I think, yes, we've got a bit of time. Uh, uh, Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 16. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 16. So though David is bereft, so Ezekiel 11, verse 16, though David is bereft of the externals of the sanctuary and the cherubim and the wings and the glory present, everything like that, He's finding it all in the Lord. Listen to Ezekiel 11 verse 16. And just seeing uh, a number of these things in the light of the historical setting helps us to understand. So uh, Ezekiel 11, where are you? And verse 16. Yeah, let me read the whole verse. It's only the last part I want you to get. Therefore say... Thus says the Lord God, although I have cast them far off among the Gentiles, or the heathen, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet I shall be a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Now, what's the historical setting? Ezekiel, in the first few chapters, the king of Babylon has come in, destroyed the temple, the temple has been destroyed. The city has been destroyed. 
Many of the, the, uh, of the house of Judah have been taken to Babylon captivity. They have no sanctuary. They have no temple. They're in Babylon. What are we going to do in Babylon? We've got no temple. We can't pray towards Mecca. Or we can't pray towards Jerusalem. Where do we pray? God says, even though I've scattered them, I will be to them as a little sanctuary. It's all in him. So, Hamid would say amen. I've got a little altar of incense inside of me. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. When I pray, yeah, I'm at the altar of incense. I have the blood of Jesus on the altar of my heart. I say, thank you, Lord, for the cleansing blood. It's all in him. You see, they worship the temple of God and miss the God of the temple. That's idolatry. We have to watch we don't worship the music of God and miss the God of music. That becomes idolatry. Anything that comes between us and him can become idolatry, even if it's religious. It's in him. Amen. Am I getting the message across? Yes, you, Lord. I seek you. I want to behold your glory, your power. It's all in. It's all in him. That's it. All right. Let it be. You more minutes here. The following soul, and I'll put this in this order. In the intensity of thirsting leads to close following of the Lord. And he says, my, my soul follows hard or close after you. David is glued to God. So you think of what we've been hearing the last few uh, Saturdays and Sundays. So follow me, the call of Jesus. He didn't just say, follow my teachings, follow me as a person. He didn't just say follow my doctrine or follow my teaching, but we follow him. As we follow him, we'll follow his teaching. The call of Jesus. So look how many people. And uh, in Luke chapter 9, I've given you the reference there. I'd like to encourage you to read. Uh, several of them came and said, Lord, we will follow you wherever you go. And he wanted to test, the, did they really mean it? He said, well, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests. I've got nowhere to lay my head. You still willing to follow me? I can't promise you accommodation. <laughs> I could say a lot on that. Some preachers would say, well, I'm not coming unless you give me the best accommodation. Mm -mm. And then another one said, well, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bury my father. And it's like Jesus said, well, how long is your father going to live? Follow me. Let the dead bury the dead. I mean, that's not very nice. But he's testing, do they really follow, want to follow him? And then in Revelation 14, these follow the lamb wherever he goes. So just following Jesus. And uh, number three here, just a simple thought. Peter followed afar off and ended up denying the Lord. So the more we thirst after him, the closer our following will be. How many can say amen on that? And then our last few moments here before we take a break, the satisfied soul. So the thirsting soul, my soul thirsteth after you and my soul followeth hard after you. How close are we following? Or not like Peter following afar off. And then the satisfied soul. All right, verse 5. Uh, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. So the stronger our thirst for him, the closer we follow him and the more uh, yeah, the English. The more satisfied we are in him. So thirsting, following, satisfaction. 
He satisfies the longing soul. And David says in Psalm 17, I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. So challenging on this psalm, this devotional psalm is, throughout the psalm, David expresses his personal longing after God. The things involved, my soul, my flesh, my lips, my hands, my mouth. That's on David's part. And on God's part, your power, your glory, your loving kindness, your name, your wings, your right hand. So application to all our souls as we wrap up this session here. What is the state of your soul? How many can say you're really thirsting after God? Amen. I pray that this psalm will help you to do that more. Following, how close are we following? So many Christians following afar off. And what's the extent of your satisfaction? Thirsting, following, satisfaction. That's it. Father, we just pray that you'll take this devotional psalm of David and we pray, Lord, that uh, you'll just create greater soul thirst, a greater intensity of, of following hard after you. And we know, Lord, as we have thirsting and following hard after you, Lord, we will be satisfied. All, and it's all in you. Bless this psalm to all of our hearts in Jesus' wonderful name. Be sure to pick up a copy of Kevin Connor's verse-by-verse exposition on the book of Psalms, available in Australia from word.com.au and internationally from Amazon in paperback and Kindle formats, and as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop.